Welcome to episode 200 of Canada's Pinball Podcast. I'm your host, Canada, and I want to just say thank you to everyone out there who listens to this podcast on a weekly basis. Without you, I would never have made it this far. 200 episodes talking about pinball. I think that shows that pinball is alive and well in 2018. It's going to be a very interesting year for pinball. Uh, There's going to be a lot of new games coming out. There's going to be a lot of companies trying to get you to buy their titles and send money in to buy expensive toys in the world of pinball. But I think that's amazing that here we are in an era when pinball probably should be obsolete and we're enjoying it and it's almost in its biggest resurgence moment of all time. So that is exciting. On this special 200th episode of Canada's Pinball Podcast, I have to say I was trying to get a lot of different pinball luminaries on the show to talk to you and and, and, and discuss pinball, but I decided to do something different and bring someone else on the show because I think this person actually is the whole reason why you enjoy this podcast and get to listen to Canada's Pinball Podcast on on a weekly basis. So I'm going to air that interview in a little bit. Uh, Before that, I just want to talk about a few news items that are happening in the world of pinball. So I got a lot of good feedback on the Dave Sanders interview with Highway Pinball. And I think that for those of you out there, the thread about Alien Pinball continues to be sort of a a never-ending story of when are people going to get their games, when are people who went in on the machine years ago going to receive their product. And I think the stress in that thread, and it's it's almost at like a, a breaking point, is that new people who got their machine years, years after other people paid for it, are creating a real sort of tension and, and, a, and, a, and an anger in that thread. Because how would you feel if you bought the game in 2014 and some new guy just got it and just paid a few months ago and he's telling you how great it is? It's this weird thing because without those new people saying how great it is, without there being any cheerleaders for the company, the whole company might go away and the original buyers might never get anything. It is, it is a very, very strange sort of stra- uh, stressful and still dramatic situation over there. I hope they figure everything out. You know, Dave Sanders, I, I, I couldn't, couldn't thank him enough for coming on and being very honest and open about what the experience was like uh, working at Highway and, and getting Alien Pinball out the door. Uh, so time will tell. I think we've we've sort of adopted this new approach of it's just you have to wait and see what happens now. They're not communicating what's going on very well over there, uh, but I don't know. I don't know what what's going on, but I hope you guys get your game soon. I haven't heard any any updates on what's going on over in the world of Dutch pinball. It's now February of 2018, and we still have no timeline. We still have no dates of when to expect games to come out. Uh, Again, another wait-and-see moment. Uh, Over at uh, Chicago Gaming, the news I'm reading about, uh, there's a a board fix, it looks like, for Attack from Mars Remake, where there's a board you can swap out. I guess one of the issues with that game was you couldn't control the flipper strength, and the flippers were really strong, and you couldn't lower them. So people were getting a lot of air balls, and now there's a new board I guess you can swap in that actually allows the flipper coil to be controlled. So I'm reading about people putting that in. It seems to be the desired setting is a minus four flipper strength makes for a good playing experience. So if you have an Attack from Mars remake, 
you should probably want to look into that. Uh, what else is going on in the pinball world? Stern Pinball. So Batman code update 0.87. I actually managed to get to Batsui Multiball yesterday without taking the glass off. It wasn't as hard as I thought. Now, what I've realized is the minor villains in Batman Pinball, you activate them by hitting one of the three stand-up TV targets that's right above the right slingshot. And when you do, uh, the TV insert will blink on the left orbit. You shoot that and it allows you to select a minor villain. Now the way it's, it's set up, and it's really cool, you pick your minor villain from season one, two, or three. And for some of them, I think they're gonna be selectable from all three seasons. So like, for example, there'll be a tut in season one, a tut in season two, and a tut in season three. Now here's the amazing part, is each of those seasons, if you select them, they come with different clips that come from those actual seasons of Batman. Now, how awesome is that? Just think about it. It's like you're actually playing through the season of those characters, of those minor villains. I actually think there's a lot more work that is that went into the minor villains than even the major villains. It almost feels like two separate games, in a way, combined into one awesome experience. Uh, this game continues to impress me. So I got to Batsui Multiball. And to get there, you have to beat a minor villain from season one, two, and three. And the best way to do it, because I realized that a lot of the minor villains, like they, the difficulties are, are uh, can get harder and harder. They're not all the same in terms of shots required. So I, I go the route of doing Bookworm, then I believe it's Egghead, and then I believe it's Tut. And those are easier to complete than some of the other ones. Because they're not easy. It's like 10 shots you have to hit to com com complete a minor villain. And when you drain, your minor villain uh, mode ends. It's not like the major villains where you stay in the mode, which makes it easier to complete. All right. But Batman is turning out to just be a phenomenal experience. Uh, I think anyone who has one is, is really enjoying it. And the fact that we still have more to go... Will Batgirl make an appearance in the game? That's the big question on everyone's mind is, will Batgirl make an appearance? Now, the other side of the stern coin right now that I think is annoying people is Batman is now sort of coming into the prime of the game. Like, people are realizing how great it is, the code, uh, it's, it's, it's taking off. On the other side, we have Guardians of the Galaxy, which is their brand new game which a lot of people are wondering, like, where the hell is the code? Like, wh is this game going to become great? Like, where is the attention going to be on Guardians? Now, I think everyone who knows pinball, without Lyman Sheets, there is no way Guardians is ever going to become as magical as Batman. Just no way. It's just different levels of talent working on the game. I also, from, from what I've seen of Guardians, it just doesn't seem to have the same cohesiveness between what's on the screen and the call-outs and, and what's in the gameplay experience. So I'm starting to think like Guardians was a little bit of like a rush job. I don't know. There's something about it. It just, it just, it's just not clicking for me. If, if you feel otherwise, uh, hit me up, canadapinball at gmail.com, and let me know why you feel otherwise. Uh, so we're, we're on the verge of TPF, so not, not a lot more stern news out there in the world other than where the hell's the Star Wars topper, which seems to be forever a mystery. How could it take them eight months to get the topper approved? I mean, you can make a pinball machine in less time, as American Pinball showed us. Uh, speaking of American Pinball, Houdinis are starting to go out. I keep hearing from people that the game is great. I have to play it. I haven't played it yet. I still think the shots look a little tight, but 
all early reports are the game is great. Now, will the quality be there? Again, these are all things that we will learn very soon enough as games go out to consumers. But I'm really, I don't think I've seen any Houdinis go into people's homes yet. I, I saw our friends that straight down the middle have it. They, Greg and Zach can't say enough great stuff about this game. I mean, they, 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 are, they are telling me this game is just phenomenal. So there's that. Speaking of early reports of a game being phenomenal, I have a report from a gentleman who owns 150 pinball machines. And he has spent a lot of time on Jersey Jack Pinball's new Pirates of the Caribbean game. And I'm hearing that he considers this to be one of the best pinball machines of all time. So take that for what it's worth. But I do tend to trust people who play a lot of games when they give a glowing review of a game that's new like Pirates of the Caribbean. So as much as we have been down on the theme and the license of Pirates and the integration of that, could this game produce a pinball experience that is amazing now here's the thing even though pirates the movies has sort of become culturally irrelevant i still think a pirate themed pinball game is a better theme than dialed in okay without a doubt i i, I still think treasure hunts and shipwrecks and firing cannons and all this stuff much more of an exciting theme than saving quantum city so if the pinball experience is as good as dialed in and the theme is better, uh, then I think it could, we could get there. We could get there in terms of like things clicking for Jack at the same time. Uh, anything else going on in the pinball world? Not, not too much. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy this interview. Uh, there's a lot of great stuff to come on this show. I have a lot of great people coming on in the near future. And I probably will be going to Texas Pinball Festival. I say probably because I haven't booked a ticket, but I have a room I, that I could jump into. <laughs> uh, it's just a matter of getting my airfare to go down there. So we'll see. I think I need to go down there. I really do. I think it's going to be one of the best TPFs of all time. I think this is probably one of the most exciting shows with all the stuff that's going to be there. Um, everyone, thank you so much for listening to the show, for getting us to episode 200. Uh, and who knows, we might have 200 more episodes over the next couple of years. I'm your host. I'm your humble host. Thank you once again for voting this show as your favorite pinball podcast. Enjoy your Super Bowl Sunday, and we'll talk to you again real soon. It is episode 200 of Canada's Pinball Podcast, and I've been thinking a lot about what I wanted to do with this 200th episode and who could I get on the show as a special guest that you guys would all want to hear. And I won't lie to you, you know, I asked some people out there that are pretty big pioneers in the pinball world. I asked John Borg, he's kept delaying. I asked, try to get Gary Stern on. I tried to get Ed Robertson, who's taking a vacation this week. But then I sat back and I thought, you know what? Who's actually the most important person to this pinball podcast? Who's the one person that actually is the sole reason I'm allowed to grab a mic and record a pinball podcast for over the last two years? And that is no other than my incredible fiance, Brenda O'Donovan, O apostrophe. Um, she's going to join the show today. We have a snowball mic set up and we're going to do something for the first time ever. Brenda's actually going to interview me about pinball, about whatever she wants to ask me, but I'm going to turn the tables and turn the mic over and let Brenda do the questioning. So Brenda, welcome to the pinball podcast that you hear every week being recorded. 
Wait, so just let me get this straight. You're basically saying, you, you said to me, I want this to be really special. I want you to interview me for episode 200. Bring it back 100 episodes ago, you offered me the 100 slot, but then mm-hmm. booted me from that. Takes, it took a while. Booted me from that. Okay, so I got, <laughs> I got 99. And now you're saying uh, and admitting that uh, I actually wasn't even your top choice for 200. About number five or six. Right, great, fantastic. And Bubba probably came before that as well. Bubba... He, he, we're looking at him right now. He's lying on the ground. So, so Brenda, what do you want to ask me? I suppose the tables have turned here a little bit, haven't they? Yeah. I really should have probably crowdsourced some questions before before doing this and, and really get to what the people want to know about. All right, but let's start with, uh, it's been about 101 episodes since I've been on. Right. It's probably been about 101 episodes since I've listened. Right. So tell me, how has your own approach, do you think, has changed to, to podcasting and, and to this hobby and this industry? How has it changed? I mean, the last year, I think all you guys noticed the difference in the show and basically the difference being, instead of just being negative Nancy on the hobby, I think I've tried to take a more positive approach about what goes on in the pinball world. And, you know, over the last year, I think I've gone from, I got to have a Magic Girl, because remember, last February was when we when we received Magic Girl in this household. And I, and I think I was so obsessed with, like, having this rare game to collect and to own and look, owning a Magic Girl was probably one of the most negative periods in this hobby for me uh, because I think I focused on all the wrong parts of the hobby, which was rarity, having something other people don't have, and just having thing, something for bragging rights only, which I think is the worst way to approach pinball. So I think after that, the last sort of, once we got rid of Magic Girl, I would say like the last six months have probably been the best period of this podcast. I'd say you're tamer. I think you're definitely uh, still in it and, and, and love the notion of being able to brag, use this as, as a platform to be able to have your your very large voice heard. Uh, but you also have such an amazing listenership, which would then tell me that the quality of the, of the content that's there is still there. So, you know, from my perspective, definitely not as negative. Um, but God, don't talk to me about that magic girl phase. I, I, I try to just... Imagine that was a bit of a blip. So let me ask you a question. So what, what was it like knowing that we're planning a wedding right now and, and you witnessed me pay $23,000 for a pinball machine? I mean, it's kind of just stupid. <laughs> it's really stupid. Why would you pay so much money for one goddamn game? Especially when what I'm hearing now isn't there like, haven't like one or two other companies even tried to bring it out again. So like this notion of rarity, is it even a real concept? Well, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, with Deep Root Pinball saying they might bring it out. So, like, let's let's imagine you did buy a Magic Girl for $23,000 and I actually just sold mine for 20000 For the people who own that game, if that game gets remade, if they figure out a way to, to make it happen, who God knows what the values of those original machines are that don't work. So I'm just, I'm just happy I got out. I also think the other thing I was telling Brenda is as we're planning a wedding and I'm giving a wedding budget, it's really hard not to give your fiance a decent budget for a wedding when you own a $23,000 pinball machine. So it's like, shouldn't my wedding cost at least twice as much as a pinball machine? And it's like, crap. Now That'd I be nice. Does that mean I'm getting more money for the wedding? <laughs> no, no. The budget is a little bit under under, under that. <laughs> Brenda's anyway, telling me to shut anyway. up. Anyway, um, But the whole, again, like, Magic Girl, you pay 23000 for it, right? Um, you ended up selling it, you got rid of it, thank God. Um, and you broke even whatnot. But Almost. it's so much money for a game that you could barely even flip. I remember you got it here, you were super excited. It was like a box of basically blinking lights. Right. And then uh, super excited the one day when we figured out you could actually just like flip it. 
And then the excitement died almost as, as quickly when you realized there was absolutely no gameplay. Well, I think what what's interesting, right? I think a lot of people in this hobby can relate to this is so the chase to find the rare item is oftentimes far more exciting than actually getting the item ex itself, especially when the item arrives and it doesn't work. But here's the thing I think everyone in this hobby can relate to, and I agree with you, Brendan. There was a point where I had a Magic Girl, I think I had a Tales of the Arabian Nights, and I also, I think, was on the hook for, like, a Batman. You can count up just three pinball machines, and it's like $50,000 for three pinball toys. And you start to... You start to scratch your head and, 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 and wonder what the hell happened. Like how, how have we in this hobby attributed it such a high value to things that really 99.9% .9 of the world don't care about? Now, the, here's the thing I noticed too. The danger that we do in this hobby when we start to think, oh yeah, it's just a $12,500 collector's edition or a $15,000 super limited edition. We all justify the cost by sometimes looking at other hobbies and what other things cost. Like you could go on eBay and right now type in Pokemon cards and there are Pokemon cards for sale, one card for like $90,000. So you start to like look at other obsessed and crazed hobbies to justify sometimes what pinball costs. And I'll say this, all of that, all of those hobbies that have like these rare inflated prices, Nobody who owns that Pokemon card is actually having a better life. In fact, the only people that give a shit are like five other Pokemon losers around the world who also are chasing after that gold foil, three-headed dragon BS card that will just sit on a shelf. Now, at least you can play pinball, but I'll say this. Like, I'm, I, I, I don't want to spend a small fortune on pinball anymore. And I think having one game has is, is cured me of that desire to keep looking for more and more. Do you think there is a risk, though, that with this notion of collectors uh, in this hobby, which the notion of collectors even in itself is, is pretty new, right? Maybe only the last like five or ten years, would you say? And this, the prices have completely skyrocketed in that time as well. Like, how yeah. sustainable is that? Yeah, I mean, well, it's like, it, I think there's always this conversation around, is it a collector's hobby or is it an operator's hobby? Like, are these pinball machines made to go into people's homes? Or are they made to go on location and actually make money? Now, everyone knows the true answer to that is it's a collector's market. And look, collectors, I've met collectors in this hobby. And this is the other thing that I do love about pinball is I know people that are kind of broke and all they can afford is like a, a, a pinball machine. Uh, and that's it. That's their major toy in the household. I know guys that are multimillionaires that have watches that cost more than, you know, 50 pinball machines uh, and the dichotomy of who actually is out there in the collector market uh, is interesting. Now, I think what's happened recently is if you want to collect new in-box pinball machines, chances are you're a very successful, wealthy man because the games are really expensive. And, and as I said before, you should not buy a pinball machine unless you've maybe saved two to three times that much money that year in your finances. So if you're buying a $12,000 machine, I uh, hopefully you're putting away fifty thousand dollars elsewhere for more important stuff in life. Now, look, I can't tell people how to spend their money; it's up to them. Um, but it's a collector's market. Now, I still think that nobody caters to the collector. I still believe that. Right, but hold on, I just want to stay on this for one second because you say it's a collector's market, but from my perspective, which again, I'm not in it, I'm not in the weeds of it. I don't read these stupid forums, lads. I think you're wasting all your goddamn time. Get outside and just get outside and talk to a human being. Um, but 
uh, for real, like it feels like the collectors might represent 5%, but they're the ones who are driving the price. And you have these, you know, young fellas who really want this game. They'll save up all their money. And then they put this right. game into their home. And as you said, it's the one toy in their house. But it's then so expensive to operate. Like Then they have lo- lo- lost all their, their discretionary spend. Every, all, everything's gone into right. this and pumped into this. I, it's I, like so unfair. I think the collector market is definitely more than 5%. But I do agree. And this happened with with the advent of Jersey Jack Pinball and the advent of Zidware. And by advent, I mean the, the beginnings of what they did with pricing. So once companies started to show that there was a market to pay more for pinball machines, the only company that actually could manufacture games quickly, they latched onto that bit of market insight, and that is Stern Pinball. And look, a Stern Pinball machine, if you look at it now, it is criminal that people are spending $9,000 on an LE, that it's 7,000. What, what, what would be the base price of a Stern? I mean, it used to be able to get an LE for $5,500, $6,000. Chris, they've almost like doubled the price. They've almost doubled the price and they've cut the quality in half on a lot yeah, of the I games. Yeah, I will say, I looked at those three games when we were at that Chicago show. The What was it, just the basic one, The it's an LE and an SLE. You get the premium, the LE, yep. They all looked the goddamn same. Yeah, it looked like they'd gone out to Toys R Us and bought like a bunch of plastic cars and stuck them on. Well, and that's the thing is once you realize if we just change the stickers and put some cheap toys on it, we can charge another three thousand dollars for this game. And and here's the scary part: it sells out. And so as long as collectors continue to show that they have a, a desire to own something that's limited, they're gonna Stern's gonna keep raising the prices. Now here's the thing. I think Jersey Jack Pinball, where his prices are at, are very reflective of the quality and the amount of stuff Jersey Jack puts into his machine. I can't say the same about Stern Pinball. I can say the same about Chicago Gaming with Attack from Mars and soon to be Monster Bash. Um, But you know, the the issue is this, it's like, I think the real battle is in the $6,000 price range. I bet most of Stern's machines sold are pros. So I think the real battle for companies that want to come into the marketplace is can you offer a great value between six and seven thousand dollars? I think that is where, if you want to sell volume, you need to be. So who's who's really in the that marketplace right now? You have Stern, who you've said really, I suppose, they're the they're the biggest player, right? And they have both the collectors and they have you call that a pro, like the six thousand model. Yeah, yeah. Like they, the I mean, they one, own right? they own the operators they have a market, right? And then you have Jersey Jack, who I agree, I've seen their games definitely much higher quality, but they're on the the larger end of the price tag right mm-hmm. so they're more leaning towards the the collectors then there's american pinball right that's another company they have Udini, just okay. came out right oh did that come out yep seven thousand dollars cool all right that so that seems to be much more accessible for right. for most um who else is really spooky out there? spooky oh those lads were lovely yep <laughs> okay um what games do they have they, they have, have rob zombie, rob right? zombie. Oh, okay, okay. and they have alice cooper's nightmare castle coming out and now spooky's is right in that sweet spot of between six and seven thousand dollars, I believe Alice Cooper is going to be like sixty-eight hundred, something like that. But here's the thing: it's like, in terms of bang for the buck, there probably is no better pinball to buy than just a Stern Pro for fifty-two hundred bucks. I mean, it yeah. really is incredible that you can pretty much get the exact same Star Wars game, Star Wars experience, same Aerosmith game, same, same, you know, almost everything in that Pro edition for less than $6,000 is incredible. And that, look, that's for the guy. From The pro is for the guy who just doesn't give a shit about 
this arbitrary limited manufactured thing. He also doesn't care about the few features that they might put in the game to charge thousands more. He's just enjoying his pinball machine. Is code and the notion that that updates and, and you can get diff- unlock different levels of gameplay, which again, to me, I was like, I could just barely keep the ball alive. That's right. a game to me. Right. Um, but like to someone like you or any one of these collectors who are in the hobby or someone who's much more advanced, is that unlocking of code something that everyone gets regardless of which? Yeah. So here's, and that's, you know, it's a, good, it's a good point. I didn't, by the way, people, I did not feed Brenda any of these questions. These, they we're doing this all real time. But I think what's interesting when we think about collectors and rarity and, and what drives the value of a game. So one of the most valuable secondhand games of all time is Tron LE. And simply because Tron LE had some code in it, it was like a Daft Punk multiball that wasn't found in any of the other versions of the Tron game. So people... So it really made it limited. Exactly. The, the gameplay experience was limited because only the LE guys had code. Now, what I find really interesting now is that Stern does not use their code as a way to make the LE people, the people who pay the premium, don't get an exclusive code or mode experience. And I think that's a mistake. And I'll give you an example. Agree. I'll give you an example right now. So... For the first time yesterday, I actually got to the new Batsui multiball on Batman. Batsui. Yep, yep. It's very, it's very cool. It's, it's, but that to me is a perfect example of if they had put the Batsui multiball only in the SLE version of the game, or the SLE and LE owners get it only. Immediately, the value of those games almost becomes justified for what people spent, but it also would raise the value of those limited versions of the game. Now, I know everyone else kicks and screams and cries. This is what's annoying about pinball people. They will kick and scream and cry that they want the same experience as people who paid a lot more money. Okay, let me use a car analogy because I know Crazy Levy loves it. Do I kick and scream if I buy a base level Mercedes that someone who paid a lot more for the AMG has a much faster car? You see, this, this notion that pinball people think that they all deserve to have the, the same experience, no matter what they spent, is stupid. I actually think if you spend more, you should get more of an experience versus just window dressing uh, with stickers and toys. Like You should actually get a different experience. So that's, I don't think they've figured that part out yet. Um, I think people are starting to, like Jersey Jack is gonna have on the collector's edition of Pirates, like an interactive topper that isn't available on any other game. So that's an interesting. That's cool. Yeah. Um, who made Tronally? Stern. So at what point do they stop like this very it, obvious model of giving those who pay more a little bit more of a premium experience within the gameplay? Yeah, I mean, some you know, look, it's the first time, it's the only game I've seen in a long time where the actual, like, the code is different or the code has something special. They're, they might have certain features that are on LEs and premiums but not on the Pro, but yeah. where Stern really, where they really fucked over every collector was the premium which is like you can have the same exact thing as the LE, just not have some stupid plaque and, and, and different artwork, but you're getting the same experience. And you know that doesn't happen anywhere else. Like again, like Mercedes doesn't put the AMG engine in a non-AMG and just say, you can have the same performance, we're just not gonna call it an AMG. And, it's, and again, I think it's smart for them to do it business-wise because consumers have shown that they'll buy up all of it regardless. So. Yep, I mean, that's where we're at. I mean, no one is catering to the collector, though. And by that, I mean the multimillionaires out there who want to have a very rare, truly exclusive experience. Tell me who is catering to those gentlemen out there who don't want to open up their garage or open up their game room and have the same exact game that's found in thousands of other places in America. Nobody's catering it. And it's not just multimillionaires. It's the folks like yourself who are obsessed, who want to have that 
the one game that nobody else has. I mean, that's what motivated you for um, Magic Girl. Yeah, and look, and I'll say this. I, I think that motivation and that behavior, that desire is what made me sort of get down on the hobby because I realized, like, well, what happens when I do have a Magic Girl? You go on Pinside, you say, hey, look what I have, and then everyone calls you an idiot for spending that much. So why do you bother going on there if there's so much hate? Well, you know, I don't... <laughs> I just, you know, I don't really go into Pinside much anymore. I'll tell you why. Because this week in Pinball, which is the website that Jeff Twippies. runs. Twippies. Yeah, well, we'll t- we should talk about the trip in a little bit. We're staring at it right now. It's arrived. Um, Pinside is, it's just, it's not the same. It's just not the same. It's just a bunch of people either complaining that they haven't received their game in years or it's the same 20 personalities arguing about Pinball. And, and who cares, And it's guys? supposed to be a moderated forum, right? Yeah, the moderation is very one-sided. I mean, it's... That's unfortunate. Yeah. I mean, look, Robin decided long ago who he was going to protect and build a bubble around on that site. I think what's really ruined Pinside, though, is not even the moderation. Well, I guess this leads to moderation. There's too many stupid threads about nothing on there. Like, if you go on that site, it is like navigating an an asteroid belt Mm -hmm. trying to find the threads that actually have value. And that is the problem with Pinside. Whereas if you even if you go on like Aussie Arcade Forum or some of the other forums, they, there's like one thread about each game, and that you have to stay on topic about that game. So I can go into the, that thread and I can just see things of value. But you go into Pinside and you've got like six different threads about each game. Within each thread, people meander and talk about like everything from. Uh, Coca-Cola soda, different sodas around the world. They, they they start arguing about other games and other threads, and it's just it's like I don't want to read 400 pages to get to the eight pages that are actually of value. So tell us about this weekend pinball. When did um when did that start? So I I don't know exactly. I want to say it began about four to six months ago. Oh right! Wow. So it is really yeah. Cool. And Jeff is amazing. I mean, I've never seen a guy sort of do all the legwork to sort of chronicle and capture all of the latest pinball news. And not just like what we used to do, which is I used to read Pinside and do my weekly updates, but Jeff also like hyperlinks to stuff. He, he, he lays it out with photos. So if you really need to know what's going on in pinball and you want to feel better about the hobby, I would simply go there every Monday, read it, listen to podcasts like this one and head-to-head pinball, and you'll get all you need to know because I think what's good about the combination of Jeff's site with podcasts, you get the news, but then you also get sort of like the commentary and the point of view because what I love about Jeff too, he's like real journalism. Mm-hmm. He's not sharing his opinion. He's simply objectively reporting on the facts. And that's why he gets guys like Deep Root to interview with him because it's just a, it's just an interview where if Deep Root came on this show, I'd have a lot more poignant questions but they're they're scared of coming on brenda did i tell you like they don't want to deep roots the the guys who are now working with papaji yep yep i personally think that's disgusting um (laughs) that's my own personal opinion but i'm never on this show so i'm just going to say it i just think the notion of enabling now you talked now now, something you guys don't know about brenda so when i was trying to get a magical brenda actually talked to john papaduk on the phone a few times Mm -hmm. right what Mm -hmm. was that like it was interesting. Um, he This was probably about three years ago, maybe right. three or four years ago. And yeah, he called me at work out of the blue one day. Um, and just, I had originally reached out to him because I wanted to understand what it would really mean to get this game. You know, we were a couple of years dating. And I was like, Jesus, this could be really, really interesting. You know, maybe I can like get him something for this game. Very quickly into my conversation, I realized this game is never coming out. 
because he was just all about excuse after excuse and how hard it is to make a pinball machine, how difficult it is and how much of his own personal time and effort and resources and nobody understands and nobody will ever understand his vision. And I was like, so why, why are we trying? So we're, we're here now, what, three companies in? Four. 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 The fourth Lads, attempt. I just personally think you're wasting your time and the notion of all of the people who you're really giving false hope to. And that's, I suppose, what's really kind of, as, a, as someone who's watching this and as like a consumer almost, like that's what's really kind of pathetic. Well, let's, it's, it's interesting because like this is the fourth attempt to bring the game out. And at some point you have to, I just ask, is it worth it? And I, I ask this of all the, the games that end up in these like quagmire situations where they can't quite get the game made. So we've got Magic Girl, all the Zidware games. You've got Alien Pinball. You've got the Big Lebowski, right? And I think what's defined my podcast has not just been my commentary, but my sort of never-ending and relentless reporting of the companies that I believe are really hurting the hobby. And, you know, Brennan, you hear me. I mean, it's like, it's hard. It's this balance of like, am I being too negative? Should I be cheerleading and supporting all these ventures? Or should I be asking them to either put up or shut up and go away? Because the more people have their money frozen with these organizations, the more crippling, the more negative, the more sour the hobby becomes because you have people walking around. Right now, there are people who have bought in on Alien in 2014 who are not getting their games, but people who are buying their games last month are getting them first. What do you think about that? What would <laughs> I mean, as someone who works in marketing and spends a lot of time on the phone on customer service uh, in the restaurant world, I mean, that's just not acceptable. Well, it's like, you know, they find themselves in these situations where they have to do it. So imagine if Brenda works for a lobster roll company, which makes the best lobster rolls in the world. Now, imagine if people pre-ordered their lobster roll and they showed up and you're like, you know what? We're out of money. We can't make your lobster roll. But if new people order lobster rolls, we'll get them their rolls first. And hopefully we'll get enough new orders to make the old lobster roll people whole. And that's sort of that's where we are with a lot of these companies. Now, look, I hope they all figured out. I think Deep Root, though, is going to. They're, they're going to realize once they take a look at John's designs how much work has to be done. So, okay, but again, just to, like last note on that, again, that uh, example you gave, it's still absolutely unex unaccept unacceptable. Like, you just can't do that. So why do you think they're able to do it and do it for years? Like, these people let them get away with it. And so on, so on. They, I mean, they have no choice. Like, they, because imagine, Brenda, imagine, you're the marketer at Luke's Lobster. Imagine the guy who bought, who pre-ordered his lobster roll, right? He, you have his money. All he wants is his goddamn lobster roll. So you say, but you say it's unacceptable. But imagine if you guys did that. Would you? And then your your mentality. We wouldn't be in business. Well, we absolutely wouldn't. I just think between the negative backlash, and I think maybe that's something that the people in this hobby don't have an outlet for. Like, there's no one really championing them. Right. But let me ask you a question because let, let me let me say let's let's imagine this scenario actually happens. If you knew that you guys took someone's money to give them a lobster roll, would you guys, as a company, then say, we're going to do whatever it takes to make sure this person eventually gets their lobster roll? I mean, that's sort of like the mentality of these pinball companies. And, but the problem with that mentality is there's also like financing involved with businesses. Mm -hmm. And if you can't financially make it work, you're literally just entering into a Ponzi scheme business model where like new money is being taken in to try and build old games. And eventually, it doesn't matter, it might happen in a month or a year, you're just gonna run out of money. <laughs> like, there, you can't make up 
Unless you started charging more for the new lobster rolls. You've got to begin by honoring those those people who actually enabled your business to get off the ground in the first place. Right. You know, and I totally hear what you're saying, understand it. Like, But in that case, what is the plan to, to make sure that those people who were the first ones who took that first risk, who, who invested in you and believed in you four years ago, back in 2014, and... And what is your plan now to make sure that every single one of those those people gets their game and, and are you communicating right. to them? I think that's the other thing for people. If you put your money down, especially that early, that's fine. You know, you're, you're investing in a hope and you have this, you're super excited about it. You call it a theme or a license, right? Right. I know, I know you were talking about the License. All right. So a license. Um, but so I'm, I'm willing to wait, but also communicate with me. And I feel like in this hobby, from what I see, it's so cluttered and these companies don't do a very good job about like communicating out status on anything. Right. Well, the thing is this, it's, I, I think what happens is, is there is no real plan or there, the, there is no plan that can work. Like whenever we hear Dutch pinball talk, it's sort of like, well, this is the best we could figure out. But if you, again, if you just, if you run the numbers, if you look at it objectively, there is absolutely no way you can make up, which is, they're now going on like two years of no money coming in. You can't make up all the lost revenue with, with, with selling the game at the same price. And here's the thing, I just don't understand why pinball companies, when they attempt to make a new pinball machine and they run into financial disaster, why they just don't go away. Like I think people would rather say it's over, I made a mistake, I've learned a lesson, and the next time I buy a game, I'll wait for it to be in a box, at a distributor's warehouse, ready to come to me. Because if, if we really count the companies that never have screwed people over, Stern Pinball, Spooky, Chicago Gaming, um, American Pinball's track record is good, Jersey Jack, no, Jersey Jack now I would put in that bucket, but Jersey Jack screwed people over on Waz and Hobbit. They waited three years Oh wow! and people cut the line. And But again, that was before. So Jersey Jack Pinball, after they got their angel investor, completely different company, but there would be no Jersey Jack Pinball today if Jack did not get his investor. Now I'm happy there is mm-hmm. because I, I know what's coming down the pipeline for Jersey Jack Pinball and it is... It is going to be amazing, guys. Like this company is, you have you have not seen anything yet. I think Pirates of the Caribbean. I'm hearing reports, and and, and Brendan knows I'm in on a Pirates just with a deposit refund. I'm sorry, no, I didn't, I didn't oh, know. You that. didn't know that? No. Okay, I have great. a one thousand dollar refundable mm-hmm. deposit. Where's that going to go? I don't know. Maybe next to Batman. Okay, our apartment's very small, people. Um, but the thing is, is I'm hearing from people who have played the, the most recent version that it it is incredible. And I, I didn't get that feedback when people played Hobbit or, or Wizard of Oz. Um, I got it from Dialed In, but this seems to be as fun as Dialed In, which is Tell good. Tell me, though. I mean, Pirates as a license that just, I don't know, personally, don't like it. Right. Um, how, how do licenses get picked? And, and you know, uh, is, is that something that, that the... the um, the companies are listening to uh, what people are looking for, or are they just going out there and they're kind of taking what's accessible to them, and then they just hope to build up some hype and market market the license. Right. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't really know, right? I don't know what goes on behind the doors of these manufacturers. I, I, I hope they listen to what people want. I think, I think half of it is listening, but I think most of it is just they need to take what they can get, and by that I mean, if Jersey Jack goes to Disney and says, "I want to do the following games," like I want to do Toy Story. What do you have available? Like, Are what? they doing Toy Story? Yes, yes, yes. I mean, I'm just going to say, they. yes, everyone knows that that is a rumored title. 
Um, I mean, that is a license. I think that so if everyone if, will get behind. If they announce Toy Story, Brenda, do I have permission from you to buy one? Absolutely, but it has to go into the place where Batman is. We're a one-pin home. One pin. Oh, we'll have to talk. I think we can fit two. Um, but here's the thing. I think what happens is they go to Disney. They see what's available because it's very competitive with the manufacturers trying to secure licenses and and. And I bet Stern has a bunch of Disney properties locked down. Stern has deep relationships with a lot of the different movie studios. So you just can't mosey in and go get like Back to the Future pinball or whatnot. It's harder than people think. I also do think, though, there is a complete lack of market research on what would be a successful pin by a lot of these companies. So just you hit on something that I think is interesting for me because I think one that you were super excited about that equally so I would have been like, absolutely, throw it into the apartment. You know, that's actually a, um, a license I can get behind. Um, and only actually, in full honesty, watch, even watch these movies when I started dating you. Which Star one? Wars. Yeah. I mean, I had high expectations for Star Wars, you know? Raw, raw, girl power, Ray. I was like, this is going to be super cool. I can 100% get behind this. Right. And then I saw the artwork that you shared with me before the whole thing came out, and I was like, what the hell is this? <laughs> well, look, I think everything about Star Wars just completely sucked this past like year. The mo- the new movie sucked. The pinball machine, look, the pinball machine doesn't suck. I, 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 I know you guys who own it are enjoying it. It's not about it being a fun pinball experience only. I think Star Wars just deserved more. But I also like, the more I hear from people who talk to Steve Ritchie, the more I hear that their hands were so significantly tied that there wasn't much they could really do. I mean, think about it like this. And and this, to me, is the biggest indicator of how much their hands were tied with this property. Where is the Star Wars topper? The topper for the machine is still not out yet because it's awaiting Disney approval. And let me tell you, this game came out in like June of 2017. So June, July, August, September, October, November, December, January. So we're like eight, nine months since you've owned a machine without the topper being approved. That has never happened before. It just goes to show what a nightmare must have been when they were submitting stuff for Disney. All that being said, you don't put a TIE fighter on a spring and you don't have like just an LCD screen just plopped on a plate. I thought it was just- Okay, I don't know what any of that stuff means, okay. but um, let's bring it back. Um, so if you say their hands were tied, then What's the point in then like chasing some of these licenses? Because they made they they're making millions selling. They they sold every one of Star Wars LEs. They've sold so many of the game. I mean, it's because you know Stern knows if you get the license right, it doesn't matter. It almost doesn't matter if the game is good or not. Like let's take Ghostbusters for example. That that is one of the most amazing licenses of all time. The artwork by Zombie is incredible. It is one of the worst pinball shooting experiences ever ever the game is a brutal it's so hard to play it's stupidly hard to play it's, it's a brutal turd and, and the fact that nobody at stern like when they were testing it'd be like wait a minute trudeau um in between your sessions with inappropriate pornography everyone knows this brenda um wh- you can't put this flipper gap here wait a minute the ball keeps hopping over the out lane with these these metal rails aren't like didn't any did anyone play that game and say this is not for anyone who's a casual player who loves Ghostbusters. This game is just brutal. I mean, I remember watching like pro players like Crazy Levy playing it, like struggling to keep the ball alive. And I'm like, uh, I'm not buying this. Anyway, but Stern has learned their lesson. 
I think they're they're going to deliver more in the future because uh, competition is going to increase. And I and again, knowing what Jersey Jack has coming down the pipeline, knowing what other people are working on, I don't think people are going to be throwing nine thousand dollars at Stern for much longer. The, the game has changed, and Jack is right on the precipice of of reaching what I believe is the dream of his company, which is to truly like to truly hurt Stern with with games that are, are going to be must-own games that will go down as classics. I, I really do believe Jack is right there. Jack has good taste in music, too. Guns N' Roses. Right. Yeah, and yeah. he's a great guy. I mean, I love, too, Jack's accessibility. You know, I mean, he's he's it's such a great family-run business. When you go in there and you meet with him and you talk with him, uh, you know, he's very genuine. And he tells you stories that would blow a lot of you guys away. I mean, stories about other people in this industry that would be shocking to you. And I think sometimes people don't realize all the different hurdles that guy had to overcome to make his pinball dream happen. And I, what I like about Jack is this, is he, he had a vision for the right way to innovate pinball. He basically, his mission was, let's make a modern version of the Bally Williams games of old that people loved. He, he didn't do what Andrew Highway did, what Jerry is doing. He didn't try to reinvent pinball and change all these things that weren't necessary. And because of that, I, I think his company is in the best position to create the kinds of machines that will last um, in a world where like people are looking for collector quality amazing pinball experiences and I think no one delivers no one's aiming for that as well as he is what was his last game the one with the, the uh, cell dialed phones in, dialed, dialed in, in. Yeah. so that wasn't a license right that was that's a that's an original, original IP concept. Okay. Right. which won the most Twippy awards by the way I mean when the community spoke about what's the best pinball machine I think rightfully so that game was was, was heavily rewarded oh that's amazing yeah I mean I actually had so much fun playing it while I and I think that's another thing about, about pinball for me is that it's originally just been about this game of just like keeping the ball alive the license really right. isn't something that's important I think to a casual player as well you don't understand that there are supposed to be modes that you're unlocking and you're, you're supposed to be telling a story and, and whatnot so for me it was a lot of fun to play and I think it just felt modern it's like you're right. trying to keep up with, with you know what's happening being able to like plug your mobile phone in um, and even just the notion of the selfies silly but fun right I mean look you, you put a dialed in next to a Star Wars and you tell someone these two games are the same price they will laugh in your face they will not understand how that's even possible. But again, the power of the license cannot be uh, taken for granted. 99% of people would rather play Star Wars on theme alone and license alone. And that's, look, but again, I think Jack let Pat Lawler make, you know, this is Pat Lawler's Magic Girl. This is a game he's been wanting to make for five, six years. Now that Pat Lawler's next machine will be Toy Story. It is. It will be the moment mm -hmm. where you've got the the greatest designer of all time making quite possibly one of the greatest film franchises of, of all time. I, I think that's the moment. That is going to be the moment where like Jersey Jack Pinball is going to be put on the map, and I think orders are going to fly in, and he's and Jack's going to sell out of collectors' editions before no pressure, he. No pressure, Jack. Huh, no. Chris? You're really hyping it up here. No, and I think and then look, I think people are going to play pirates as much as i've been sort of questioning why they picked that theme i think people are going to play this game and and really want one and i think jersey jack is i don't know it's kind of like that company where like you don't have to be ashamed of owning every single jersey jack game because 
one game every 18 months is Jack's strategy, and everything they have gets put into that game. I, I think that's the way to go. Smart. Sturm's approach, like their shotgun approach of four to five games where like three are, are mediocre and like maybe one good one comes out, uh, I think that's that's a tragedy. And I'm also hearing a rumor which could really... And I'm going to share it right now on this episode. I heard a rumor from a very reliable source. Now, this is like, I don't know, this might not be true, and he could easily say that's not true. I heard a rumor that Lyman Sheets is getting ready to retire. That this might Who's be. That? Lyman Sheets is the best damn pinball coder in the history of pinball coding. He coded Stern's best machines, Metallica. He rec- That's a fun game. The Walking Dead, Batman. Um, so Lyman Sheets is, is, is basically been working on Batman for, for like almost two years, about like a year and a half. But um, th- this might be his last game. Now, that, look, this is just a rumor I'm hearing. Uh, if he does retire, his games are going to skyrocket because you, you just can't replace Lyman Sheets. Brenda's like, I don't even know what that means, but anyway. Yeah, I really don't. Okay, but back, <laughs> back to Twippies. Um, so fair play to Jack and, and team, and obviously it sounds well-deserved. They, they racked him up. Yeah, racked up those awards. Yeah, they got the most most twippies out there. All right, have you? I, I haven't. Sp- I haven't listened to your podcast that uh, that came out after you uh, learned that you were the winner of the best pinball podcast, and I, I hope that I don't affect your ratings, right? Um, too negatively. Um, but why don't you? Have you told people how you really felt? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I put up a podcast afterwards, just saying again. I, I feel extremely humbled and and excited to have. Uh, such an an amazing listener base and it it is only because of you guys out there who listen to this show that we got those votes and it's it's extremely humbling you know i was i was i was super excited i was jumping up and down like a little girl in my let me tell you guys so um that was what friday night a couple of weeks ago yeah um and i had worked from home that day and i was going out with my my guy friends that night and um it was about seven o'clock. I was running out the door. Chris had nestled himself up into the couch very comfortably, super excited. There was like a nervous giddiness to him. It was like the night before Christmas almost. He was like, will or will not Santa arrive and deliver? And here I was like, yeah, see you later. I'm out, I'm out off the door. And um, I'm sitting in a bar with waiting for a drag show to come on, surrounded by five gay guys um, having cocktails and a flaming fantastic time when all of a sudden my phone starts ringing off the hook and it's Chris and he is beyond giddy and sounding so humbled and I think there were definitely tears in his eyes although he'll say that that definitely so, was just the music in the background um, just so unbelievably excited like he really genuinely did not think that he was going to be a contender um, so from my perspective so you guys know he truly is very very humbled by this yeah, you know, because I was the third nomination, so in the first two went up, because I, I, I thought for sure, like, Slam Tilt would be up there, and I mean, look, I've said it before, and I'll say it again, I think all the pinball podcasts are great, uh, my approach in, in, to pinball podcasting is, in my belief is that podcasts should happen on, on, a, on a timely schedule, that you should hear stuff when it happens, because conversations do have a half-life. I also just like, I try to make it entertaining. I, I've never pretended to be this pinball expert. I don't really care about setting high scores or reaching wizard modes. I just want to make you guys enjoy your time as you're commuting to work or you're probably taking a dump on the toilet and listening to this. But this is when people listen <laughs> to so podcasts. Gross. No, I know. It like, it helps. I think my voice helps people like squeeze one out. <laughs> <Jesus> <laughs> um, so I, I appreciate it. And like, I, I think this show 
is um is just unique. I, I and 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 a lot of it's just because you know I've, I've I've got listeners who enjoy the more sort of provocative and disruptive stands we take at times because nobody else. I don't think anybody else out there keeps the manufacturers as honest as this show because I'm not here to make friends. I'm here to just tell the truth or try to get to some sort of truth in pinball. And I don't think there's a single, um, whether it's manufacturer, designer, whomever out there, that at one point or another you haven't had some sort of negative or negative is not the right word, but you haven't had a, there's definitely been times where you challenged. I've challenged all of them. All of them. You know, like I've challenged all of them and I, and I think because of that, I, I think they all somewhat respect me and the show and I'll, I'll say this they all listen to the show like whether it's they won't always admit it but how can you not listen to what I think is you know uh, 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 and this is not just my show but how can manufacturers not listen to all the podcasts out there because these podcasts whether they like it or not we have an influence on the hobby and that is something that as a company you need to pay attention to so you think Mike from Homepin is happy that all 1300 listeners of this show now know his true colors that is that is potential buyers that that might not buy from him now and i think that's what this show you know if if this show is super excited about Guardians of the Galaxy maybe more people are excited about Guardians of the Galaxy but if this show is saying like you know what Putting the leftover WWE armor on the game is a cheap cash grab. I would not go near it. That has influence. I'm sorry, but I, I just wouldn't get excited if someone was giving me their opinion that would maybe is trying to help me save money. And I, I think also, if we look at where we probably had the most influence, it's with companies like Highway Pinball. When I'm like, everyone should get a refund. And they should. And, and I don't think it's right that these companies should ask people to be investors they should get the product they bought are any other podcasts out there saying similar stuff or is it just more a narrative of what's happening yeah i mean i think a lot of the podcasts will will cover the hobby i think what i don't see is i think people are more nervous to go directly after manufacturers because look when you do it here's the downside of of my approach when you do what i do uh, it makes it harder to get people to come on your show as guests, right? Mm-hmm. It also makes it... Is that why I'm on? That's why you're in. Great. Well, it's the thing is, like, the Stern people, they're always really nervous about coming on the show. I mean, I interviewed Jared, and he wouldn't let me air the interview because people at Stern wouldn't approve it. And see, it's behavior like that that always makes me laugh because... Uh, this is just pinball. We're just having a dialogue about pinball. There is nothing that Jared said that would have warranted that interview not being aired. And that's why I give Dave Sanders so much credit at Highway Pinball, who I interviewed um, last week, last Sunday. So Dave Sanders is the lead designer at Highway Pinball. Now, Highway is a company that I, you know, constantly was like attacking Andrew's business, you know, tactics. But here's the thing, and I learned this, and I thought about this more over the last week. Dave Sanders, he is Highway Pinball. Like, he did all the hard work to get... Andrew's vision off the ground. Andrew Highway was just like a salesperson who actually, you know, his vision actually hurt the intelligence and the and the all the skill sets of a guy like Dave Sanders. So I, I like I love that Dave came on and shared his his stories with us about what it was like going through the the difficult period and where he's at now trying to get Alien Pinball off the ground. But but that's the thing, it's like 
Andrew Highway, I invited on this show many times. Yeah. He never would come on. I, you know who I would love to have as a guest in the new year? Because I think this would be the ultimate burring of the hatchet moment. And I've, I've asked, I've tried to sort of work between mediators, but I really would love Auric Lawson to come on the show and talk to me about pinball. And and I'll say this, even Auric when... Auric was the designer, wasn't he? Yeah, he was, desi- okay. he was the designer. Him and I had a lot of personal back and forth. I would say that... I've 100% buried the hatchet on the whole thing. I hope he has too. And even I know he's he's in this weird place too because he still has not received his alien pinball machine. And I think he's adopted the same mentality that a lot of us have is, you know what? It's not worth like getting frustrated or staring at this anymore. Like it is what it is. Just let it go. If you want to come into the thread and talk about the game, talk about it. Otherwise, don't read the thread. Uh, but I would love Oric to come on because deep down he's he's just a pinball fan, and I think a lot of people fell victim to Andrew Highway's bad business plan, and I think all of us, I did too. I got really negative. I, 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 it's not easy sleeping at night when you're personally attacking people, and I think everyone's had a sort of a convalescence recently. So I would love if he's listening or you listen and you know Oric Lawson. Uh, to have him come on the show and let's just talk about pinball and let's let's move on from from what I believe to be like a pretty sordid period in pinball history. All right, well, Arik, you've been formally invited. <laughs> yeah. All right, so Chris, tell us a little bit about Toten, right? Uh, so for, again, my perspective, Chris really gets super excited about uh, a theme or a license. You'll get really giddy about it. You found Toten. You you loved the gameplay. You loved the the, the concept. You loved everything right. about it. The simplicity. I really enjoyed uh, being able to play that game. It was just really accessible. Um, uh, you know, you you bought it. It wasn't what you expected it to be. It honestly was it was kind of a piece of shit underneath. It needed a lot of work. Oh yeah yeah. Right. She's not talking about the gameplay. Yeah. So I bought. I, this is one of those examples of when you buy sight unseen. I bought it from a gentleman in Canada off of Pinside. He put a new CPR gold playfield, the whole thing, like all the trim was brass plated, like the legs and the armor. I get the machine, I lift it up, and it was like one of the biggest hack jobs ever. So he basically put lipstick on a pig. That was kind of frustrating. Uh, Eddie Kramer in New York, Pintech. If you he's need, fantastic. He's, he's the best dude on the planet. Um, Eddie spent hours, like I think like 80 hours, basically not full restore, but basically pulling out every mech, fixing every bad connector, like removing all the hack job elements of the game, cleaning every part so it looks better than new. Uh, and and he re- basically restored it to a point where like when you lifted it up, it looked pretty much as nice as when you closed the play field. Um, and, and look, Toten is still one of the greatest games ever. It really is. It's, it's not as deep as some other new games, but in terms of just it's a work of art it's hard to explain now what i'm happy to report is the gentleman who bought my toten amazing guy he's a doctor in tennessee and toten was one of his favorite games when he was growing up and his him and his wife went in on this on buying my machine and and i'll say this i get accused a lot of times of being a bad seller and this and that i like i ripped off a guy for my fixie felix jr all that all that long tail story that follows my 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 name um, but you asked this guy, I said, look, man, here's the price. I guarantee you this game is going to make you really happy. Uh, I, I have, I've bought a game before, Sight Unseen, and I know how stressful it is not knowing what's going to arrive. So I said to him, just give me half of the money as a deposit now. You don't have to pay me the second half until the game arrives. 
and you unpack it and are satisfied with it. And I also, I said to him, look, I'm going to get Fast Eddie. Fast Eddie's the other guy locally who delivers all my machines. He's the most incredible pinball deliverer or one of shipper. Bubba's best friends. He's one of Bubba's best friends. He, he, he's like this amazing dude. He wraps a machine for like two hours. So it arrives minter than mint. And so I actually paid Fast Eddie to like wrap up this guy's machine. All And I paid for all this personally because I just wanted to make sure this guy was happy. Now, I, for those of us who sell pinball machines, there's nothing more rewarding than the new buyer being ecstatic, being super happy. And this guy is like that. I mean, his, it's his dream machine. It looks incredible. I'm so happy it's found its proper home. Um, and that's that. I couldn't be happier. So, like, I don't miss Toten because I had my fun with it for a year. And Star and sorry, Star Wars. About to say Star Wars. Batman is just so incredible. I'm I'm absolutely loving Batman. I don't regret putting it in the apartment. But back to like this notion of collecting, right? right. You you wanted it. You got it. You ticked the box. It was like scratching an itch. Then there was Magic Girl. Like you never thought you'd get that. You got that. Now we're on Batman. From a collector mentality, how does your goddamn brain work? Well, it, no, but I think that what happens, and, and you guys out there can relate to this, is is you get a game, you play it for a while, and then you realize it is a game. All games get a little bit stale. You do get bored, and you want a new experience. I mean, it, you know, who who out there is still playing their you know their video games from five years ago? You know, you're you're playing the new stuff. You know, Mr. Greg Colton over there is playing Splatoon and Mario Odyssey. He's not playing Super Mario Brothers. Uh, it's because we we want a new experience. In the, it's still a game and a toy, and I think that's what happens to people. You know, the notion of like, is it a keeper? And that's something that is floated out there a lot. And I do think Batman, though, I do think it's a keeper. There is something special about this machine that it's the last thing that Adam West ever worked on. And you know what's coming, Brenda? Is like. He's going to personally call out my name and say, Chris, answer the bat phone. Because I bought Chris Marquette's machine from Cointaker and they had Adam West personally make call outs for all the owners of the SLEs. So you tell me when that happens, what, what SLE owner is going to get rid of a game where Adam West personally calls their name out? I, I can't imagine anyone. So we're going to have to figure out that, where that one goes then. Or we just get a bigger apartment. Let's make some more money. That's the other. That's the other thing. Is like, well, if room, if space is a problem, maybe we get a bigger place, <laughs> right? You're gonna, you're gonna make the money, oh, right? I thought God. you were making. Yeah, aren't, yeah. aren't you the meal ticket for me? Yeah, because uh, yeah, breadwinner, right over here. Mm-hmm. All the money's in the lobster. Now, New York City apartments are cheap. You guys would like honestly go on Zillow, and like we look at apartments all the time. New York City is the only place where literally on our block, which is not even like the trendiest neighborhood, I could go spend $2 million on a two-bedroom apartment where nobody would be impressed if they walked through the door. That is New York City. Bring that $2 million to Ireland. I know. We'll have the penthouse in Dublin. So I want a penthouse in Dublin. Here's what we're, I mean, what we're, what Brent and I do now, and this is just personally, this is how we like can afford pinball machines. Is I've lived in this apartment for 17 years. It is... Um, you know, our monthly cost of living is not that high. And so we save our money. We save our money. Like pinball is not something that I buy. I don't save up to buy pinball. I, I There is constant savings going on. Pinball is just 
it's just a byproduct because right now we don't have kids. We're not even married. Like once, you know, once we, if we have some little tykes running around, I, I, I think their diapers come don't before machines. Don't yourself right off. Anyway. So anyway, what, what is next for this hobby? What is going to be that next thing that excites not only you, but moves maybe the, what, what's, what's the next step, the next chapter? Is there right. innovation that's being worked on right now that you think is going to right. excite you? I, look, I think what's next for this hobby, I, I think the bubble is going to burst a little bit. And what I mean by that is I think there's going to be a consolidation by the amount of companies that are out there. I also think that we are going to see new young designers come up because the old guard is going to step down soon. They have to. You know, when Deep Root shared their photo, and it was so funny, like they shared this photo of like all these old designers in a room. I, I don't think people were excited. I, I think it was more about like, here are all the leftover designers that don't have current employment or are not getting paychecks from anyone who who need work. That That to me is not what would excite me. What would excite me is if they showed a picture of new young designers like in their 30s who are like, I'm gonna make a name for myself on pinball, here's my, like, and, and you never heard their name before. Because to me, the real excitement comes from people who are fresh, who are looking at pinball with new eyes, and also have new skill sets because they grew up in an era with different technology and innovations and, and have like a desire to make a name for themselves. You know, I say it in every industry, it's like, it is people who are unhappy that change the world. It is people who are hungry and hustle that make things that are special and magical. And I think a lot of these old designers, I, I, I think they had their period, they had their moment. And we, I, I think what excites me is new guys like Eric at Jersey Jack Pinball, brand new. Like he's, he's got a mission to make a name for himself. And, and that's what excites me, watching what he's gonna do. Guys like Scott Denisi, you know, young guys who, who like, they're just getting started in this hobby. Now, I also think what's gonna happen with consolidation is, for some reason, everyone thinks they can make a pinball machine and there's all these companies coming out promising pinball machines. I, I think that's gonna, I think you're gonna see about two or three companies absolutely go away by the end of this year. I also think you're gonna see new boutique companies that are focused primarily on the high-end market come to play. And by that, I mean, small volume, high price games, basically the Zidware approach. Uh, but people are gonna think, I think people are gonna figure out how to do that right. Because there's money to be made, um, but it's difficult. But I do think we're gonna see some new players in that space, but we'll see. Is there anyone out there right now who's like going to fit that bill? No, I mean, like there's there's nobody out there doing it. And like, I, guys, I, I firmly believe if someone said, I'm gonna make a new King Kong pinball machine, I'm gonna make 50 of them, and I'm gonna charge 20,000 each. Uh, and, but you know, if they actually did it, if the, like, if the game was done and, and, and they, they could show they could make it, they would sell out. You know, and that's, that's no small change. It's a million dollars for 50 machines. You know, can you make it for, can, can they make it with the material cost for half a million and pocket 500,000? Yeah, how much, how much does a game really cost? You know, that's, that's, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, we, I think the bomb on machines, which build of materials or on materials, it's something like $4,000, 5000 It depends. Like, I, I think some games, like Jersey Jack, is barely breaking even on what's in the game. Right. Wow. So then when you, when someone like, you know, okay, Deep Root comes out, that, now that's, that's a fresh name, right? New company? 
Is it? Yeah, I mean, they're new to okay. the pinball scene. New to the pinball scene. So, you know, to kind of go back to what you were saying, this notion of, like, fresh energy. But then they go and they bring in credible. No, not really, but known <laughs> John, names. John Papadouk and, and Credibility do myself. not go together. Um, but they have those other guys. But you said that they're all, like, guys who are figures who have been in this industry for decades. Yeah, look, I mean, look, they, they've... What is it about them, though, do you think that gives them the belief that they're not going to fall victim to the same pitfalls that other know. people? I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what's, what goes on in the heads of men who decide to make pinball companies. You know, I, I think it is a mixture of, of excitement, of confidence or overconfidence, of it can't be that hard. Uh, it's just a toy that we can build. And I think what everyone learns is that until you build it, you shouldn't reveal anything. You shouldn't talk about it. You shouldn't hype it. You shouldn't brag about it. And, you know, look, Deep Root seems very confident right now in their ability to do it. And as I've told the people over there, if you make it happen, I will buy game number one. So I hope they prove us wrong. Um, but I also just hope they sort of go away and figure it out. Have you been on your show yet? No. Robert won't come on. He... he oh. He's, uh, I, I would love to talk to Robert about it all, but also this. I mean, Robert, I don't even think you should come on now. I, I don't think it's a good time for Robert to talk at all. I think Robert should come on the show when he says, hey, Chris, like, we proved you wrong. You know, we, you said this about us. You said we couldn't pull it off. And I'm here today to share with you that we did. And I'm here to invite you on a tour to see, you know, us making the games. And, and look, I have nothing personal against any of the people over there. Now that I'm out on my, I'm out of the Magic Girl drama, and look, Deep Root hasn't taken any money from anybody. The only issue they face now are the Zidware customers, and I think that's it's silly to absorb that baggage. But they decided they decided that John Papaduke is valuable enough, right? He's valuable enough. These games will sell if and the that we're, we're willing to accept the baggage that he brings to get to those valuable titles and i look i'm here to tell them in the world i i don't necessarily think they're wrong in that assessment that i think people will line up to buy alice in wonderland and raza if they can figure it out and magic girl if they can figure it out it's a big if they can figure it out so we'll see what happens i it's it's interesting to see how this develops well best of luck to them yeah, and look, I, I, I want everyone to succeed, but if, if people start taking people's money, that's when I will come after companies because I won't, I, I will always be on the side of the customer. I don't want people to get screwed again. We don't need another, you know, pre-order model to get to a game. If the game is done, then I can see you taking some pre-orders to actually build the games, but we haven't, I, I can't wait to the day though, Brenna. I do want to see a working magic girl one day. I want to see that center mechanism actually do something. I want to know what John did for six years. Like, what was in his head? Like, can they figure it out? That, to me, that is the most curious thing on my mind about pinball is can they make the damn magic girl mechanisms work? Don't waste your time. <laughs> well, we'll see. Um, all right. So what advice then would you give to someone? Say my brother turns around to you now and... Um young fella never been in this industry before he casually likes to play he decides he wants to buy a pinball machine what advice would you give him or anyone coming into this hobby with uh, a small amount of money they want to invest 
I would say run away as fast as you can. Now, if you had a small money... You listen to that own advice yourself? (laughs) Look, this is the other part that I think people, like, forget. You can go get so many good pinball machines between, like, $1 and $3,000. There are so many great games out there that people are flipping and enjoying. Uh, There's an unnatural focus on the new stuff on Pinside and on the forums. Uh, It's because I think a lot of these guys... They, they need to justify their $9,000 purchase by talking about it nonstop. But you can go get you know, a Demolition Man, a Judge Dredd, all these games that uh, they're fun pinball machines. And you can, you can enjoy them. You can go get a, a Jurassic Park, all these things that are out there that they're just good pinball experiences for people and, and without breaking the bank. And, and I think that's... That's the thing about this hobby is it can it can provide fun and entertainment no matter how much money you want to spend. And and also, like, I would also advise people, do you really need to own it in your home? I think the first question I would ask someone is, how close are you to pinball on location? And I don't mean just barcades and where pinball machines are out there in, in the public, but also... Go on a forum and say, "Hey, my name's her name's her brother's name's Dave. Hey, it's Davey here. Um, does anyone who lives near here have like a pinball collection? I'd love to come over and play." And you'll find too that oftentimes, if you're within like a, a twenty mile radius of some other guy who's got a pinball collection, you can sort of combine forces and be like, "Well, why don't I buy Star Wars? You buy Guardians of the Galaxy. Like you can, you can, you don't." It's silly that you you and your friends all own the same machines. I, I think it's like, you know, because because in pinball it's like if everyone has a size ten shoe, why do you all have to buy the same shoes? Like eventually you could just loan them out. Maybe shoes are a bad example because they shoes get stuck. are a great example <laughs> in my world. Right, but it's just that's it. I mean, I would advise people: Do you want to play? Do you want to own pinball? How, you know, and 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 just do it so it doesn't become too much of the center of your universe like when you become obsessed with it i think that's when it goes too far how much time do you think is too much time spent on these forums in this hobby like head down in a computer screen way 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 too much i mean i think everyone will agree like way too much you know i i I try to advocate that people should spend as much time at the gym (laughs) or doing something productive as they do playing pinball uh but i think the the people on the forums are somewhat obsessed with mm-hmm. with it, it, it but it, but forms create compulsive obsessive behavior uh, you know like my friends who are in the tournaments th- th- these guys play like every day like crazy levy will probably be playing pinball today before the super bowl or during the super bowl every night every social outing is playing pinball and i think what happens to a lot of these guys is they become so obsessed with scoring and figuring out how to climb the pinball ladder that they miss what actually makes these games fun. You know, I was reading Levy's review of Batman and it's, you know, it's it's like, it's all about scoring and, and figuring out how to manipulate the code to get higher points. To him, like, it's not emotionally fun to put the villains in jail. He doesn't get excited because he hears, like, the music during the book. I love the music. It's great. The, the music mu- is so good. I, I and think the little TV clips. The, the TV clips. The Batman is incredible. Like, the way each villain and minor villain and the music but again like i haven't gotten to that level for yet. guys who all they care about is how to find the pathway to the highest score they don't care about any of that stuff and i and i think pinball was meant to be entertaining 
it, these games aren't designed just for tournament play. That is just like a you you could do it. You could you could make a tournament out of any game. It doesn't have to be just pinball. But I I think that people who really enjoy the machines and and enjoy like all the nuances of the music, the call outs, all the things happening. I I think that's that's where people are having the most fun. And most guys out there who listen to this show, we we all share a common trait. Most of us kind of suck at playing pinball, and that's the other part of the collectors is they, they, they bang about how they want these deep games, and then most of them will absolutely never see any of it. It's just knowing that it's there makes us feel better. It's, it's kind of weird. How many listeners do you have these days? Uh, let's before this podcast, we, we have about <laughs> about like a thousand to thirteen hundred people listen per episode, which is great. Is that I unique? Th- yeah, yeah it, it is unique. It's not just me and, and my friends hitting refresh, delete cookies, uh, which is great. I think this this is sort of, we have a consistent listener base. Um, every once in a while, if I have like a special like Jersey Jack on, we might go up around 2,000. Wow. But it's... Um, you should get Jack on again then. Yeah, I know. I should have, <laughs> I should have him on every week. But yeah, I mean, we have a, we have a great listener base, and and I think my listeners are incredibly loyal and are obviously prone to activism with their trippy vote so again guys let's 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 just win it every year like we can become i can become like the tom brady of pinball podcast oh you wish oh make me giselle let's do that yeah let's do that um and what are what are the most common questions you get from from your listeners i suppose i'm throwing you ones just because like based on what i'm what i see in here and, and like what is honestly a lot less time that you're spending in this hobby and you on you very respectfully wait for me to be either at work or in bed before you yeah, jump mean, into this. I think a lot I think most most of the email feedback I get is is that people enjoy the show. I get a lot of sort of keep it up um, that people don't always agree with what I say but they do for the most part. Uh, and I think you know they they just love the the cadence and the frequency of the show and sort of the show's sort of honest or provocative sort of approach. Um, I also get emails every once in a while from manufacturers telling me that I'm wrong, <laughs> telling me that I don't know what I'm talking about or challenging what I say on the show. And that's fine. It's cool. You know, look, it's a two-way thing. I, I, I say stuff on this podcast that elicits responses from people or makes people think. Um, and I'm saying stuff about people's products. I mean, I, it's, it's not easy being a critic. Uh, even though it seems like it, when I say something negative, it, 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 I have to make sure that I feel really confident in what I'm saying and that also that you guys, for the most part, would agree with my assessment, right? Because if I was just crapping on everything and you didn't agree with me, I think my listener base would, would erode very quickly if I was just a show that was negative and I, I don't think I am. I think I sort of call it like I see it. And you're also the first to also revise or, or edit your own original maybe viewpoint or even a review you would have given a game if they do eventually come around and, you know, walk the talk and actually deliver. I shit on Batman for an entire year. Yes, you did. <laughs> it's, but like I say, it's my, my opinions will change and I've apologized to people and I've changed how I thought about different companies. It's just that's but isn't that life? I mean who doesn't have a, a change of heart or who doesn't after seeing things differently have a new opinion about something? So I, I don't think that we're ever like we're not stubborn on this show. I, I think we're open minded and I think we we often do make mistakes and I think we apologize when we do make a mistake. What's your dream license? 
I, I, Big Trouble in Little China and Transformers G1 movie. The, the, those are, are the. Are there, are there existing licenses no. out of those? No. No. Okay. I, I, I think that Transformers, the movie, the soundtrack, the whole, like, you would play. Is that the one with Shadow of the Buff? No. No. Okay, 19, that thing, that this is, is 1987. Crap. This is Orson Welles' okay. last movie as Unicron. I just think that game lends itself perfectly to pinball. I think it'd be incredible. Uh, I think that if they could, if they could make that game, it, it would sell like hotcakes. I also think Big Trouble in Little China, though, is just the greatest theme for pinball or, or license for pinball ever, where you play as Jack Burden, and and if you think about it, you're battling all the different gods in that movie from the thunder god to the wind god to, to Lopan and I just have this vision in my head of Lopan as this toy that like rises up like inflates and you have to bash him to beat him just the best game best movie ever it'd be the best game of all time and it's like it's got that fun like campiness that pinball needs I, I think themes like uh, the Big Lebowski are terrific license integrations for pinball because of, of the humor and the, and the, and that's what pinball needs is it needs to make you smile and laugh and, and and enjoy it not not just be like too serious how would you describe what you do to your mother <laughs> mom i i took all the education you gave me and i threw it away <laughs> it's funny when i tell my parents i, I got voted like the best pinball podcast. They're like, you have a pinball podcast? <laughs> oh, they're probably like, what? What is a pinball and what is a podcast? Right. Well, I, look, my my mom has spent her whole life scratching her head at my decisions, even though everything that I've done in my career, both professionally and personally, is because my mom always let me be the geek that I am. I mean, my my mother, ladies and gentlemen, she's amazing. Florence, I love yeah, her. Is. I love her to death. She she got me when I was a child because me and my brother would go to the arcade every day, and she was worried that we were going to meet drug dealers and or be kidnapped. She said to us, "If I get you to an arcade machine, will you stop going to the arcade every day?" So one day we came home, and in the living room or in the den was a brand new Street Fighter II Champion Edition. This was when the game first came out in our like living room or in the den. Can you imagine like a the love I would have for mother for all eternity when that happens? But every kid on the block would just come over every day and we'd play Street Fighter 2 Champion Edition and I still have that game today. That game that my mama got me is actually residing in in Robert's game room who listens to this show, who's taking good care of it. Um, but my mom has always been like, look, whatever you love in life, just ex- go in that direction. So that I loved gaming. I loved Guns N' Roses. Everything that I've ever loved personally has always become the thing that professionally I've, I've sort of built my career around, which is great. Getting an arcade game when you were a kid, I think a lot of your listeners might agree with me when I say that sounds just like being spoiled. Well, look, I mean, it's like if we factored in all the money we were spending in the arcade, it, it probably, yes, we were a little spoiled growing up. But it, I'll say this. I, I want to be able, if I have children with, with Brenda, to you know, spoil my kids with the things that they enjoy. But also, like, you know, my parents installed in us that you need to work hard and you need to make you know, your own living and, and you need to follow things you're passionate about. And, and I, I think I've done somewhat successful on my own in life, so... I don't know if you guys can hear this, but Bubba is literally snoring in the background. Um, what do you think he would say to you? 
feed me. He doesn't care. He's like, can they make a pinball machine that I can eat that dispenses <laughs> treats? That's what he would like. Um, but anyway, anything else, babe? We're like, we're a little over an hour. No, our I mean, guests, I'm, I'd say people are probably sick of hearing both of our voices now at this point. What? So let me ask you: Are you? How do you feel about this whole thing? I mean, you've watched me do this for two years now. A lot of the free time that you you would want to spend cuddling or me telling you stories, I've spent making a podcast. What 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 are you? What are your thoughts? Um. I think there has been a bit of a, a, a roller coaster here, both emotional and otherwise, with you and this hobby in the last two to four years. Um, I think definitely in the last like six or so months, it's uh, it's gotten a lot more positive. I think you really spend a lot more time consciously being present, whether it's with me or your friends or, or whatnot, and being mindful about when you actually commit time to this podcast. Um, you're less in the forums. You're less trolling, I think, in the forums, and more relying on just real, real, real conversations with people to to get your news and get your information. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm pro. It. it makes you happy, and as I said, you, you never stop putting me first. So that's the most oh. important thing. Yeah, so you guys advice to men out there. Yeah, you guys are like honestly, you guys want to complain about pinball prices? Like I always tell them, take a walk into Gucci. And, and then you'll understand the rationale for why people think a $9,000 pinball machine is nothing. Um, yeah, Brent, I always put Brenda first. Uh, she gets more than... Well, the, I'm second after Bubba, right? Yeah, Bubba's always Basically, first. Let's be honest. He's looking at me, one eye open. Um, well, guys and gals out there, I want to thank you for your support and listening to this show. And Brenda, I especially want to thank you for for allowing me the time because I think a lot of people they do get a lot of guilt and pressure from their significant other to give up their hobbies and I've always said that people who are the happiest in life are the people that have hobbies that have things that they geek out over that is what brings people together it is what makes life interesting it is what keeps you sort of excited for the future because you're really excited to see what comes of the things you're into and that that's not just true of toys but also of people themselves so i especially want to thank brenda i look forward to getting married to you in december apparently we're going to have some pinball we will have pinball a, machines at our wedding we are going to try we are rumor, also going to have a housing. table then we might get some pinball some of my pinball friends at as well um but i i just want to thank everyone for listening because this podcast only exists because people enjoy it uh, and there's there's listeners out there if they if you know i see some of the pinball podcasts out there and god bless them where they get like 100 or 200 people every episode but they do it and it's because i think pinball is a it's it's a relic that probably should be obsolete that's not it's almost like we're living with modern day dinosaurs right it's that's pinball it, it is this thing that shouldn't be around that is around and because it's around it's only around because people like you are so passionate about it that you still play pinball. You still buy pinball machines and you still listen to podcasts about pinball. And I think that's that's cool. But we're still a really small, 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 small niche hobby. But that's what makes it even more fun. Is I, I love walking into a bar where anyone can talk about football. Anyone can talk about you know movies and music. But if you were to like, let me tell you a story about pinball. All right, well, first thing happens is half the bar clears out. More, more than half. But the, the remaining half, they, you know, there's about 10% that will actually listen to you. But anyway, guys, this has been episode 200. Enjoy your Super Bowl Sundays. 
eat a lot of food. Brenda, any final sign-off that you have for the listeners of the show? Lads, hit, a, hit them up with questions. Don't be afraid to do so. There we go. Send Maybe, and let me know if you went back on this show. I'll where, consider it for where, 300. Where, where should they send their questions? Do you know where? Canada's Pinball Podcast at gmail.com. No, that's absolutely incorrect. Oh, okay, never mind. It's Canada Pinball at gmail.com. Well, that's confusing. Uh, I will happily, again, read your emails. And if you would like to be a guest, I owe some of you some guest appearances, and we're going to make that happen soon. Uh, but anyway, everyone, this has been episode 200. Do you think we'll get to like 400 one day? I'll be like an old man, like, and, and. Chris, it's been like a year and you've done 100 episodes. So, like, I mean, for you to be at 400 and be an old man, I mean, you're can really you going to have to and no, decrease the quantity. The speculation is that they're going to make a Do I think that you're going to be an old man doing this? Absolutely. And you know what? I love that. That's great. I'll be like, do they need an eighth version of Elvira? I don't know what I'll do. Okay. Anyway. okay. All right. Guys, thanks for the time. Cheers right. for listening to us. Have a great day. Ooh, baby, do you know-